This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 485, for December 2nd, 2015. We're sponsored this week by Casper. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Macworld Senior Contributor Glenn Fleischman, and joining me, as always, is Executive Editor of Macworld, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Howdy, Glenn. How are you? Uh, we Almost all the turkey's gone. Uh, it survives on in soup in memory yet green it survives on in soup (laughs) i just had a leftover turkey sandwich from the grilled cheese concern across the street american grilled cheese kitchen because i didn't host thanksgiving or cook this year i went to my uncle's house so we have no thanksgiving leftovers which was really sad so i'm like buying left you know quote-unquote leftover sandwiches from from like third parties you're buying third-party <laughs> leftover sandwich. This third-party like turkey health, sandwich. It was really like a, good, though. A health department concern, I would think. <laughs> you know, well, the internet, there's an app for buying. If you needed to buy or trade turkey, there's leftoverturkey.com. You go there, you download the – I'm just making this off. And <laughs> then you just – and you find the person nearest to you. Then Uber picks up the carcass and takes it to Mike Dukakis. Uh, no, you see that Mike, Mike Dukakis likes to collect turkey carcasses. Say that 10 times fast. Leftover swap. He, is it still uh, in the app store? He freezes them it and is. makes. Oh, well, there you go. Mike Dukakis collects turkey carcasses and freezes them and then makes soup for him and Kitty and their seven grandchildren. It's very lovely. Hmm. It's very sweet. Uh, but we're not here to talk. We're here to talk turkey, not talk turkey. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the post holiday uh, giddiness. Back at work. It's a stretch till the end of the year. And then uh, some people will be going to CSS in early January. CES. CES for all the joy that that entails being in Las Vegas and um, seeing hand sanitizer and humidifiers and massive amounts of chapstick cigarette smoke every time the doors open the cigarette smoke billows in from the thousand people smoking right outside the doors it's, it's not bad any like they oh, they have right? those places pretty ventilated Can, oh, you know good. considering how much smoke so yeah we do um, the last few years um, so Robbie Baldwin of Engadget. Um, has his birthday during CES every year. Poor bastard. And uh, (laughs) so we do this little karaoke party at one of these off-strip, like, little tiny casinos called Ellis Island. It has, like, a ridiculous, like, $10 prime rib special. And there's this karaoke, you know, lounge. And we take it over for one night of CES every year. Um, well, not really. The locals are still there too, so there's some there's some mingling there. But anyway, um, it's this little tiny off strip place. So that one, the cigarette smoke like hits you when you walk in the door, like it knocks you over. You have to keep like a you can't wear those jeans the next day. Oh, like yeah. you have to keep a special outfit and like then seal it up in plastic so it doesn't like permeate your everything in your suitcase. Like it's nasty. Oh man, I forget, you know, I, you and I are both old enough for when they smoked on planes and uh you get <laughs> I'm on the plane. That old. <laughs> what? <laughs> I never was a, in a, on a smoky plane as far as I know. Oh, wait a minute. Well, I'm not going to ask you your age on the air. I'm 47. I'm 36. I'm 36. Oh man, did you miss the you miss the fl- the smoking the golden time. Golden age of flight. Yeah. Wow, yeah, it was great. You'd walk <laughs> on and be like the smoking section and the secondhand smoking section. I remember smoking sections in restaurants and like when we would go smoke cigarettes in high school, we would just come back and tell our parents that we were at the bowling alley. Wow, that's funny. That now, now, now that actually makes you feel old when you can actually people remembering smoking uh restaurants. But we're not here to talk about smoke. We're we're here to we're here to talk about fire. <laughs> we're just not gonna smoke. edit all of this out. Where there's smoke, there's fire. 
And uh, we're here to talk about Fire, uh, Amazon Fire, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the uh, couple of things this week. What we're talking about, the, the uh, Black uh, Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, sounds like neither of us really bought anything. Um, I don't think I – I think I bought some online, I don't know, like a digital credit or something. Um, I was just trying to use uh, – yesterday I was trying to use Target.com site. We're recording on Tuesday. Uh, Monday, Target's down. Today I'm trying to do uh, PayPal often does these uh, good deals. Search on uh, Twitter, Google, if you want to get a discounted iTunes credit. Around this time of year, you can find third parties that buy it up in large quantities. You know, and they pay a discount to Apple to sell the credit, and they'll sometimes sell it at cost or below cost. So you can find uh, like 16 to 25% off deals. 20% off is not atypical. And uh, PayPal Digital is doing a promotion as we record this that I think may last the whole week. Uh, $80 of... Um, you pay $80, get $100 of iTunes credit. It's exactly like having $100. It's just they've, you know, say they've paid the discount uh, and um, can't get through because PayPal is currently, they're having trouble on Cyber Monday. They're having trouble on um, on uh, Mucky Tuesday. I don't know what today is. <laughs> 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 on a hungover, cyber hungover Tuesday. Still. They've all got names now. I think this is now Giving Tuesday. So you're supposed oh, to true. donate to charity after you bought all your stuff on Friday and Monday. I haven't really bought much because I'm just not prepared. Like the key to not, to, the key to like winning Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I feel, <laughs> is that you can't buy deals just because they're deals. Like you have to buy the stuff that you actually need, <laughs> either for your own household or, you know, to give as gifts. And I know what like we need, but I'm not, you know, I'm kind of done buying us stuff right now, but I don't know like what I'm getting for everybody. So I have to like kind of do the work and then, and then go try to find the deals to match up with, you know, the people that I'm buying for. Um, so I haven't really bought anything and I feel like I'm missing out on a, a lot of deals. Yeah, it's true. Although we, we did a big family gift this year. Uh, again, this is the electronic world. So I was trying to find a, uh, don't tell my son who doesn't listen to this podcast, but my older son, we're getting a, uh, a, a, what do they call it? It's a digital piano, but we, uh, he's taking piano lessons and we wanted one with weighted keys was the key thing. And those things can cost thousands of dollars. So, uh, I am also an editor at large at the wire cutter. And so I asked my colleagues over there, in the Slack room, because uh, these are people who know deals. And uh, someone recommended a uh, inexpensive one that was also on sale even before Cyber Monday at uh, Costco Online, where Costco members so is able to uh, purchase it for $400. Get a very nice Yamaha that's well-reviewed and has uh, weighted keys and sustain pedal. But here's the thing. It's so efficient. I ordered it a week ago Friday, and they sent me a shipping thing like on Monday. I'm like, no, no, we don't want it to ship while he's home from school. No. <laughs> so UPS now has a thing. You can sign up for it. It's free. You can pay more for higher tiers. Go to UPS.com. When you get notifications, you can choose to uh, get stuff delivered to a different address or delay a shipment. And I paid five dollars. I know it's hilarious. I like I paid for shipping, then I paid to delay shipping, which is absurd. <laughs> but in terms of the scheme of thing, I paid them five bucks, and they delayed the delivery until uh, Monday, so I could get it. And of course, he'd already come from home school when the thing arrived. We had it for the UPS guy sneak behind the house, and it was not quite an "I Love Lucy" episode, but. Uh, uh, That's these kind are the of tools fun, though. I like how Christmas turns us all into spies and liars. I got stuff covered <laughs> with a black cloth in the basement now where they don't usually go. Uh, hey, uh, speaking of uh, things from the past, <laughs> uh, AT&T, this is uh, your favorite story, I know, is uh, AT&T grandfather claws. Um, they're digging up your grandpa. And uh, <laughs> it's my morbid thing. It's like, it's like, hey, grandpa, uh, we need some more money out of you. Um, 
So uh, you still have a grant, as we've talked about many times, you have retained your unlimited AT&T From my cold, dead brand. hands. What are they doing to you, Susie? What are they doing to you? They're just going to start charging me a little more. Uh, um, so back in the day... Back in the day when you bought an iPhone, you had to buy unlimited data for it. They were like, oh, these crazy smartphones and their internets and their browsers and like all the data. So they sold everyone these unlimited data plans. They might have started at 25 and then went to 30. Or, anyway, they were $30 like forever. I've paid $30 for my data. Um, and then the, and the new plans are like, oh, unlimited talk and text. You don't have to even pay for that anymore. And all you're really paying for is the data. But so my plan is, you know, I have my, my 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 cost for my phone. I got my cost for my unlimited data. I got my shared minutes with my family, and then they all have their own data plans. So, so I'm I'm really like I'm paying a lot, but I didn't want to change it because I love the, you know just the peace of mind of having this unlimited data plan that you can't get anymore from AT and T. Um, and so it was always thirty dollars, and they're about to change it in February of next year to thirty five. Ah. Which isn't really the end of the world. So if you're under contract, you can't. So someone on Facebook, like I wrote a story yesterday saying, okay, here's what's happening. They're going to do this in February. If you're affected, they're going to notify you. And if you don't like this, you don't want to pay, you you can get out of your your contract within 60 days if you're still under contract. If you're not under contract, you can just, you know, walk anytime you want. But you can't say like, I signed a contract at $30 and you have to honor that (coughs) price. So someone on Facebook was like, oh, maybe in January, I'll, you know, I still have that plan. So I'll go sign a new contract, keep the plan. And then, you know, I'll be good for two more years. I don't think that's the case. No, I think no. they're allowed to raise it on you as long yep. as they also allow you to walk at that time. That, that's exactly it. And they, I think there's some limits. Uh, I don't think it's a tariffed rate because I think they're exempt from that. But I think they get subject to scrutiny and other kinds of things. So they can't be too egregious because then the FTC or uh, the FCC, even depending on the parameters, can step in or at least give them grief. Uh, but, you know, if they haven't raised the price in a long time, there is a thing called inflation. It is not unreasonable that if the price was $30 in the past, it's – $35 now, but it's still, and, and I mean, you point out, they raised the limit. So it's not a five gigabyte or three gigabyte monthly uh, threshold before they, they throttle you anymore. So now it's, what is it? 22 gigabytes now. Yeah. So I use In one like, billing cycle. Like that I've would never, be a lot of data. <laughs> yeah. So that's getting to the point where like, you know, to the comparable price you'd pay from AT&T for that would be, I think $80 or $100 a month for the data portion of your uh, your bill. So they're, you know, it's not, I still think they didn't, they should have had this thought out uh, way back when and been fair and smart then. And they, sh- I keep saying, I thought they should have bought people out. I should think they should have gone to people and say, we want to get rid of this plan. And so we're going to give you something like, we're going to give you a lifetime minimum 20 gig plan, or we're going to uh, pay you $500 or give you a free iPhone or whatever and get people off this thing. So it's not mm-hmm. a, uh, albatross around their neck as they and that people complain about, but they still have millions of people on these grandfather plans. Yeah, they're more providing disincentives to stay rather yeah. than incentives to switch. I don't like so that. because I'm on this unlimited plan, I can't do tethering, like it's just not an option for me. And that used to bump me out. I kind of got over it. I don't really care. Like I only need to tether like, you know, twice a year or whatever. And I work for a technology company. So they have MiFi's. I can borrow them. Like it's not it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, that might have gotten me off. But, yeah, like rewarding people for switching rather than like punishing them for not switching seems like it would be, you know, a tastier carrot to get people to do what you want. I know. I know. Well, you know, you never could say it's weird. Big companies just I don't know that they – 
and some of them are really good about understanding the feedback loop and some are not. AT&T? Maybe it, it, It's so still much. pretty reasonable. So I went yesterday yeah. when I wrote the story, I went to Verizon and Sprint and T-Mobile to see, you know, wh- what, are, what are you guys doing now? And Verizon doesn't do unlimited plans anymore. T-Mobile and Sprint both do unlimited plans, but you almost don't need them because they also don't charge overages. So if you have a more oh. reasonable plan and you reach the end of that, like say you have five gigabytes, you reach the end of your five gigabytes, you don't get charged more. Like Verizon just like starts charging you like 15 bucks for every additional gigabyte you use. But the other two, T-Mobile and Sprint, will just take you down to like 2G speeds. And then T-Mobile even has this like rollover thing where if you don't use all your high-speed data, they'll save some of it for you and you can use that next month. So that would probably cover me, you know, if, as long as I had kind of some some banked high-speed data for, for months where I really do need to use a lot, like you're yeah. traveling or whatever. Um, that would probably cover me because, I, I, you know, I don't use more than like two, three gigs a month anyway. I just don't want to get rid of it because, you know, like I'm streaming more or... You, you something comes up like the applications are using more data like everything you know you can update apps over the air and all that stuff like all that uses data so I'm using more probably now than I was when I got this plan seven years ago and I just don't know what the future is going to bring so I've kind of held on to that plan as like future proofing against you know bigger data hungry applications but T-Mobile's plan would probably cover me now I'm just I've got the golden handcuffs of just having my whole family on one plan and switching us all at once would be a big chore. I think that's the the thing is that the newer plans, you're so more insulated from either entirely like with T-Mobile or or you're just not using enough. Like I, I went up to a 15 gigabyte plan on AT&T uh, when they did a promotion recently. So I got the one month rollover data thing because I'm on a family share. And we went from 10 to 15 gigabytes and we're not paying anymore. And we'll never pay any more for that under the current uh, plan structure uh, unless they raise the price for everybody I gather. And I'm not even sure then. So at any given time, I have between 15 and like 28 gigs available to use in a month. Um, because we, our patterns are usually regular. If I'm traveling, I might use a bunch in one month. And then I use, as like you, two or three gigs the next month. So the following month, if I happen to be traveling again, hey, there's that. The other mm-hmm. thing was I was having broadband problems with uh, Comcast before I switched to, uh, I won't say it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, this every time Glenn mentions his fiber internet, take a drink. It's fiber glutting. Um, and uh, every time, <laughs> so, uh, but since I internet service is more reliable, my broadband service now I don't have to. I've been I had to tether at times. I have to switch over just to get work done and burn some gigs that way. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a good change. I mean, I don't I don't want the carriers like I like it when companies who provide service make a profit off what they do. Um, the profits are so excessive for some of the services offered. I think it's okay that there's pressure in the marketplace. There's competition coming from T-Mobile, as we keep talking about, that pushes these things down. And and eventually we're going to get to a point where, I think we're already at that. Like you and I are at the point where our current service levels, essentially, even if they weren't unlimited, are effectively unlimited because we don't, we are not heavy users as some travelers are. And mm-hmm. for some people, that number will keep going up. Uh, and the carriers will keep collecting probably about the same money and just keep turning that dial up until it becomes something like, you know, if we're going to get 50 gigs a month. Like, when am I ever going to use that unless I'm downloading, uh, you know, Blu-ray film quality uh, 4K videos? Uh, and maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. Just you see. Uh, speaking of video, nice transition, huh? Um, we have a very funny, um, it's not a rumor, it's more like an email that came from customer service at Amazon that got reported on that uh, the thing we've talked about for weeks 
uh, Amazon Instant coming to the Apple TV, we've speculated maybe Amazon couldn't do a deal with Apple before. Maybe they didn't want to, but this new thing, it's an open platform in the same way, well, open in the sense that any developer should be able to write software for the TV OS app store. And uh, customer service email was like, yeah, yeah, we're working on that. We'll have it in a few weeks. Like, wait, what? It wasn't a company announcement. <laughs> Just yeah. kind of got leaked a little bit. Yeah, it said, Dan, I've interacted with our technical team and have been informed that they are currently working in developing a new app for the Apple TV. As we've already succeeded in developing an app for iPhone and iPad, we hope to make an app separately for the Apple TV. Hopefully, within a few weeks span, you'll be able to see the Amazon Instant Video app feature on your Apple TV. So it sounds like some customer service person like got up and walked over to like, you know, the app department and were like, hey, guys, you working on a TVOS app? So, I, you know, that I would love for this to be true. This could very well be true. This could not be true. They could be working on it and it could not be developed. They could be working on something different and the wires got crossed. Like, who knows? It just doesn't seem like super official. But, you know, I thought it was exciting anyway because, like Glenn, I would love to get my Amazon Instant Video on the Apple TV. And it works so well on the iPad. I mean, it, it works now on that. You can get it over by AirPlay, but, you know, then you have to have another device in the middle. So it would be nice. They got some good stuff on there. I just finished watching Transparent. Uh, people are raving about the man in the high castle. They say, I, mean, I shouldn't say that. They say it's uneven, but it gets better and better. And uh, the, the Phil K. Dick book that it's based on, I think, is fantastically weird. Not not the weirdest of his fantastically weird books, but uh, I watched the pilot way back when Amazon was doing its uh, thing where they made a bunch of pilots and they sort of tested them with the audience, which was cool. And um, that's, uh, I, gotta, I wanna go and, and watch that whole thing because I, I hear they're like, you know, it's a little bit of a slow burn, but then it just sort of picks up speed. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but let's not, uh, hopefully Amazon won't be doing more uh, Nazi advertising. <laughs> oh, what? you see that? No. Oh, did you see this? They, they, uh, you know, so the plot of Man in the High Castle is not really a spoiler. Spoil, spoiler oh, horn. Oh, yes. Uh, um, is that uh, it's an alt reality with our reality leaking through, an alt reality in which um, Germany and Japan won World War II and they split the U.S. Uh, between them, essentially. And so Amazon paid, Amazon Video paid to have wraps put in the uh, New York subway, having these like Nazi ish iconic. <laughs> You know, stuff on the benches oh and everywhere. God. So no swastikas, <laughs> but not, you know, sort of definitely the idea. People were like, just, oh, just okay. short of like swastikas. Yeah, I think it was like just oh, in time man. for Christmas or for Thanksgiving, <laughs> folks. Let's drape the subways in wow. Nazi. And it was it was effective in terms of getting people's attention, let's say. But then they pulled them out. I think everyone's like, oh, but like how did how did the subway system approve these? They they I have didn't to be hear very careful. That. That's hilarious. They, they subway system can't. Uh, bar stuff based on, uh, I think they can bar stuff based on taste, but not on political opinion. This is not a political thing. It was commercial, but, uh, um, mm. well, speaking of, uh, of, uh, comfort, we, I wasn't speaking of comfort at all, but I'm gonna make the transition. Let's, uh, <laughs> let me thank this week's sponsor. Before we proceed, I want to thank Casper Mattresses, who is uh, the sponsor of this week's episode. And uh, Casper has a uh, a product. It's uh, you know it's coming up on on Christmas and Hanukkah, other holidays here at the end of the year, one before the other. And uh, if you celebrate both, as we do in my household, you are going to have boxes piling up all over the place. Well, you can get a box from Casper with an entire mattress inside. They ship it to you. You open it up and it inflates itself like uh, it just unfolds because Casper has combined the best of two kinds of technology. They're using a memory foam and latex foam. It means they can pack it in a box and it unfurls itself into a full-sized 
bad. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase from them if you go to casper.com slash Macworld and use the code Macworld. And you can enjoy your sleep experience for 100 days as a risk-free trial. And then if you don't like it, you can call them. They will pick it back up even. So this is a great deal. If you're looking for an affordably priced bed that doesn't give away anything in terms of quality, it's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. If you compare that to industry averages, it's an outstanding bargain. So remember, go to casper.com, that's C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash Macworld. Use the code Macworld and get $50 towards the purchase of a mattress. Terms and conditions apply. So thanks to Casper and their magic inflatable mattress boxes for sponsoring this week. Unfortunately, Apple's products do not inflate when they come out of the boxes. They, they do not open up and unfurl, but the boxes are pretty cool that they come in. Every time I get an Apple box these days, I don't do unboxings. No, sir. No, ma'am. Um, but I'm always astonished about the, the origami cardboard cuts now that make the boxes as compact as possible. Yeah, the boxes are very, very folded up. They don't use a lot of tape, which is good. Yeah, Apple likes things that are thin, which is why they might be getting rid of that horribly thick 35 millimeter headphone jack. Oh my gosh, it's so thick. Huge. <laughs> Massive that we find in the iPhone, iPad. I mean, like laptops. just as far as like width, it's the widest opening on my on my phone. Like they could really? make the phone a few more millimeters thin if that was a little slimmer. So, yes, yeah, so the rumor, there's another rumor that they're going to get rid of the headphone jack for the lightning uh, connector. This actually popped up before the 6S even, but, you know, it was not to be. But now with the 7, maybe, maybe uh, no, no headphone jack. I don't know. Um, Got a lot of problems with that issue because you use the lightning port to, to charge. To charge. So and if I you're charging, have... how do you listen to your, uh, yeah. that means they have to have a splitter. Or you Ugh. get a case. I, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm a little dubious. I, I understand. I'm a little dubious too. Yeah, I can understand why they would do it. Like it's a very Apple thing to say. This this industry standard thing that everyone uses and is generally okay. Uh, we're just getting rid of. Like, nope, we're done. Like, you know, hey, uh, USB C. That's great. Let's uh, let's try USB C. Uh, can totally see it, but I just think the inconvenience factor is so huge. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say here's your new 12 inch MacBook, and you need a new cable. If you want to use certain kinds of devices, you need this adapter for displays, but it's another to say every single headphone in existence with an eighth inch or 35 millimeter jack will not work with this without an adapter. That's just yeah. like, it's a really old standard and they yeah. love getting rid of old things. Yeah. But I mean, like maybe they could have two lightning ports. Like that isn't part of the oh, rumor. That's um, weird. Though, maybe two too. lightning ports. I know. But, yeah. Like, so oh. they they put out a an MFI spec for um for lightning based headphones last year. But I mean, did anybody make any like lightning based headphones? They may be out in the uh, actually the thing that you, may, you never know is it could be all kinds of Chinese factories with these things just waiting, trying to pay for leaks from the uh, inside, which is what often happens. Uh, that's how the cases get made early as they get the leaks on the specs of the uh, device just waiting to roll because once – and then they got to still have to get approval if they want to get the MFI approval. But a lot of stuff that has uh, lightning is not approved. I, I shouldn't say that. You know, it's interesting. It's actually very important, I would say, to look for the MFI. Look for the MFI label, uh, not because we want Apple to get more licensing money, <laughs> but because – 
typically means the company had to go through another hoop and uh, it doesn't mean it's perfect. But I, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about non-standard cables of all kinds. And uh, I don't think I'd want to buy a non-standard lightning cable. So um, I expect if there is a headphone push, we're going to see a lot of non-MFI lightning heads. Uh, but I don't know yeah. how, do they really want to make the thing thinner? Like there's a point at which you make a device so thin that it just can't maintain the rigidity it needs to, even with fancy new glass, even with a higher grade aluminum or aluminum, you can't uh, maintain the necessary rigidity. It's just too yeah. thin. And then you, you want to have, you know, th- a thinner phone has less room for battery, which is, you know, most of what's in your phone. And I just, you know, I'm not, I don't share the obsession with like, got to get thinner, got to get thinner, got to get thinner. Like the, the success I have now, I have coats where like it can be in the pocket and I'm like looking for it and I pat that pocket and I don't even feel it in there. <laughs> like, it's just, it just disappears. <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I don't care if it gets thinner. I would like to keep using the headphones I have. I have a lot of nice headphones that, you know, were expensive that I want to keep using. I have some Bluetooth headphones. I usually use them, like, in wired mode. Um, I have, you know, a couple big sets of cans that you can use sort of either way. And I most often use them in wired mode because it's another pain point to keep something charged. You know, you're rocking out to Exile on Main Street, and then your headphones are like, bloop, 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 you know, <laughs> the little, like, a uh, little chime that they they chirp before they're they're about to wear out a battery. So, yeah, I don't know. It, if it had two lightning ports, maybe you could, you know, be plugged into power on one and headphones in another. Well, the, um, the adapter might be a splitter too or so, the adapter I don't, could I, be but, a splitter. I'm like everything I think of is is, is horrible. It's like yeah. I mean I mean anything that requires a way to manage two plugs coming out. And Apple could just do the same thing they did with USB-C. And say, uh, yeah, yeah, you're just going to have to have adapters. It's very pretty when you're doing the thing we want. Get Bluetooth headphones. That's all you need. Or, yeah. you know, our batteries last a long time. Don't worry about it. Just use the thing and then charge it when you need to. But it just seems so inelegant. That's the thing that gets me. If they did this transition, it's going to be an ugly, painful transition. Um, like the MacBook going to USB-C, like that, you know, is a big problem for those people. But, I mean, A, it still has a headphone jack and um right the only other port and it's like one slice of you know apple's like third biggest market or whatever like the iphone is the thing that they sell the most of by far and if they took it off the biggest best-selling iphone like i don't know it might you know every iphone they're like this is the best-selling quickest selling best iphone ever and I, you know, this could reverse that trend, maybe. Well, look how USB-C has developed, too, is, you know, we've been waiting. I've been, I've been on the USB-C beat waiting for cables. And I got a handful of things that I haven't reviewed because I kind of wanted to reach a critical mass. I wanted things that were more useful. I wanted, among other things, pass-through power uh, adapters like Apple makes. But they're still really the only company making an adapter that has pass-through power because – I think it turns out to be more expensive and complicated. You know, I was complaining. These are $79 adapters, the digital AV and the digital uh, VGA, whatever they call it, um, uh, adapters you get from Apple, which are – they have uh, pass-through USB-C power only, uh, pass-through USB type A connector, and uh, either VGA or uh, a, a HDMI port, uh, which you can use with DisplayPort as well. And um, these – $79 adapters, like that's a lot of money, right? Seems like a lot. I think the engineering to get the, um, the meet the 100 watt standard, which is one of the two voltage stand or one of the two uh, power standards for USB C, there's like a 15 watt spec and a 100 watt spec, and Apple's charger is uh, 29 watts. 
So maybe getting that to work correctly with that amount of power in a small form factor is a big deal because we haven't seen anything else. I'm waiting for the external batteries with USB-C uh, connectors, all this stuff. So look, if Apple is relying on a worldwide infrastructure to build up around a standard that they, that's industry adopted that they are out in front on, this is not like USB with the iMac where USB devices started to appear very rapidly. There was a whole infrastructure waiting and there was a huge demand for devices, especially to replace the horrible hockey puck mouse uh, <laughs> of, of cursed memory. Um, so if they can't get USB-C's ecosystem boot started by shipping devices, and I know not in huge quantities, but still just signaling. And you can get, you know, I think there's an Android phone out now. There's other devices with USB-C. So there are, I think, at least three manufacturers making devices in reasonable you know, quantities, probably in the hundreds of thousands to low millions. Uh, so that makes me worried about a Lightning device. I think Lightning's kind of a different character because there's already production lines that uh, are MFI certified for other products. But I mean, maybe I you'd have to go wireless charging at the same time, and then you wouldn't need the lightning port so much for charging. I guess so. Yeah, I mean that could be it. If you have, if you don't, but then, but lightning, ah, then you're like, but then what? Do you, then you have to have a induction charger you take with you, yeah. or when you're on the road, you're carrying. You can't charge and listen to headphones. Because then mean, there go my headphones and all my external batteries. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what exactly. am I going to do with all this charge? I, I know. So there's there's just there's like a logic problem here where I understand why people would be interested in this, but I also I just don't see the circumstances in which it all coordinates to make sense. Um, well, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll find out. But this is the kind of thing we're not going to see this until next fall, right? This is going to be a yeah, iPhone we generation. have until like next September to figure, you know, to to speculate. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, what are we on the? Uh, That's what you can discuss with your family at the holidays instead of politics. When should I buy <laughs> an iPad? Well, at least it's become easier. It used to be when Apple was introducing stuff at regular schedules, the question was always like, when are we going to be able to introduce, you know, this or that? Or when should we buy it because I'm waiting for a product introduction? I've been asked, you know, speaking of this, since we know. Um, CES is still a month away. Apple typically is quiet until, gosh, like February, usually sometimes March with new products. We probably won't see any significant announcement until then, right? Most years? Um, yeah. Last year, the first Apple event was not until April. Is that right? Oh, were they, were they announced the in They announced March. the watch back in September, and then they showed it to us again in April, and that's when they also brought out the, the USB-C MacBook. Oh, that was April. God, I was thinking it was earlier. So, I think it was April. Pretty well, sure. It might have been, my recollection was March and stuff shipped in April, maybe? Oh, yeah, that could be right. But that's still, I mean, so we're four months away. So we'll just be vamping the whole time in this podcast, folks. We're just going to. Yeah. I mean, they could come out with some kind of like weird, you know, thing sort of in the meantime. Like they could try to steal the thunder at CES by just announcing something. Yeah, I guess. that week. It's just, they're sort of in this, I feel like they're in a little bit of a, it's not, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. They're in the doldrums only making hundreds of billions of dollars. It's really sad (laughs) for them. Uh, But it's true. They've had a really busy, they've had a busy year. The watch came out they did the you know the iphone revisions they've done um operating system updates even though these were slower ones uh it was a little bit of a it was like a typical year and an atypical year um but they're kind of at a point where there's a lot of things that have been revised and next year is going to be a different kind of of year i'm you know as a wi-fi guy who's written a lot about wi-fi i uh the base stations really need to be refreshed i think i might have mentioned this even last week it feels like there's Something wrong there, not wrong, but behind where, you know, we're still not seeing the home kit, uh, pace accelerate. 
Um, I don't feel like the Internet of Things has, it hasn't exactly stalled. You know, Google's been expanding uh, its next ecosystem, and it's got a bunch of initiatives going on. But I don't feel like a lot has uh, materialized yet. And HomeKit, I don't feel like it's anywhere near the potential that Apple was trying to give uh, us an indication it would have early in 2015. Mm, yeah. And, I mean, we don't really have, uh, like Apple uh, should say the, uh, I mean, so the base stations don't have HomeKit support. They don't have Bluetooth in them, among other things. Uh, and um, they're, they have an older version of 802.11ac. There's a new version that started to ship that has uh, some better properties for mobile devices. And the um, iPhone 6S and 6S Plus actually can take advantage of what's called Wave 2 of 802.11ac. Uh, but Apple doesn't make gear that supports it. So base stations are kind of a minor part of their business. But um, yeah, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens because there's more that can happen. Yeah, the HomeKit thing is still a little bit fragmented. I've called in some products and I'm working on it now. But um, yeah, that didn't really take off the way I was hoping it would. But maybe next year is the year that it all comes together. Well, it's just like the watch thing. Is like, is there a market for it? I can see the watch was weird because I didn't feel like there was a pull for it. I felt like there was a push to get watches into the marketplace and for companies to make an argument that watches were relevant because uh, they kind of run out of innovation for phones. I don't know. I don't know why there was such a... It was like, oh, Apple hasn't made one yet. Let's go into this space. But there's a huge amount of competition, a lot of devices in home automation and monitoring. And uh, people have bought devices in the tens of millions. The estimate is there's going to be, you know, a, a billions of Internet of Things devices within not that many years. And uh, that doesn't seem plausible because stuff that's already installed, especially new homes, that's moving from dumb devices to smart internet connected ones. So there's just that's the issue of even new homes being built, people upgrading things, products like Nest being sold. So there is a coming wave, but there's no way to predict exactly how it's going to break. It seems like there will be a point at which uh, we could wind up with like you know you don't want to have you don't want to have three competing systems in your home. I don't want HomeKit. Um, what is Nest's thing called? Uh, bird related? Is it <laughs> Nest in? Uh, Wicker, I don't know what it is, something. Oh, their, their uh, like language framework. Thread, thing. Well, there's Nest and there's Thread and there's another part also that's like a, that starts with a W. I can't even remember. That's how great the, uh, uh, the system is. But, um, Weave, I'm sorry, Nest, Thread, and yes. Weave are all interrelated components. Nest is the brand. Uh, Nest Weave is inter device communications. And I think Thread is like an underlying standard or something, right? I don't even know. It's confusing because I think Thread and Weave have something in common. Then you've got 802.11.15.4, which is uh, a personal area networking standard that's related to Bluetooth but is not Bluetooth. Um, and that's uh, – uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's – no, 802.11 oh, – 802.15.4, I think it is, is the um, – I'm, I'm getting the standards wrong. It's another wireless standard, but it's uh, – this is the one that um, is used for uh, uh, low power personal hour or personal area networks, like um, having uh, alarm systems and so forth. And uh, I think Zigbee is based on that. So we got a lot of stuff floating out there, but I don't want uh, Zigbee and Weave and HomeKit all in my house. I want I want something that's unified. I'm sure most people don't want to have to um, navigate that. This is the nice thing about Wi-Fi. Everything talks Wi-Fi because nobody won. Like there was no competing standard that became big enough before everyone adopted the same thing. And I think that's been a great thing for consumers and also for businesses. Well, um, should I talk about gigabit internet again? Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, I guess. Well, no, I, wanted, I did want to talk about this is a somewhat unrelated topic, but I, I wrote something about it recently that you published uh, at macworld.com uh, about migrating cloud backups. And um, I've definitely been hearing more from people who are trying to sort out their cloud backup system. We always say, you know, this is something we were talking about before uh, American Thanksgiving, was when you go home, if you're going home, a uh, great thing to do is help people set up their cloud backups. And so I just, I wrote about, uh, not the difficulty, but the kind of the bandwidth needs of if you have uh, substantive amounts of uh, inform of uh, information to back up. That uh, you know, I have like a terabyte plus stored at one online backup service, and I can't just move it over. Uh, and I had to wait until I had a sufficient upstream, and now I've got, like I say, gigabit broadband. <laughs> but even if you have tens of megabits per second, um, you need something of that scale so that it doesn't take you months or a year to. Uh, replenish your data storage, um, the stuff that you have stored locally, and put it up into a cloud storage system if that's what you're using. So uh, if you're interested in doing transition, it, I've got a lot of – we structured it as lessons. Like here's what you need to know. How do you uh, approach this as a, as a category if you're trying to move from one to the other or actually even set one up from scratch? So take a look at that. Um, and, and Susie also let me write about what it's like to have gigabit. Um, which we've talked about a bit on the podcast because it's been different. But the thing that's funny is it's settled down. Like I, I've now I've um, I was just had a had an open house around Thanksgiving and talked to neighbors, several of whom have gotten uh, gigabit because uh, again our local Comcast service is is middling and they're starting to charge overage fees. They have this new plan that's going to go into effect that they're testing in markets. So we're already at a point where many of us are like, well, you know, we're going to spend a hundred or one hundred twenty dollars a month for the Comcast service. And the bundle they have from the local carrier is uh, for uh, gigabit fiber plus a phone line is like 140 something dollars a month. So the difference isn't that much for 10 or 50 times improvement. And the thing that everyone has said is kind of what I found is it just sort of disappears. It, it just works all the time. And it's great when you're doing certain upstream and downstream tasks. Instead of it taking minutes or hours, it takes, you know, seconds or minutes. And that is fantastic. I feel like I'm much more productive. Uh, because I'm not dealing with bandwidth as a constraint, but you don't suddenly go like, oh my God, I'm swimming in bandwidth. Isn't it great? Because you're not doing high bandwidth tasks all the time, but everything is faster. It just makes, makes things a little better. So don't cool. be quite, don't be quite as jealous because it's. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's only good when you I like my have, internet slow. Oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I'm still waiting. This is, uh, we have a regulatory structure in America that has not been beneficial to competitive entrance into the broadband market, if I can put it lightly. <laughs> um, and uh, actually speaking of competition I think we one last story we were going to talk about was uh, uh, it's like the uh, who's blocking the blockers um, Yahoo got a little <laughs> coverage and we're starting to see more sites do this because uh, they deployed uh, and actually the economist fell into this too as well uh, anti-ad blocking technology that detects whether you're using an ad block software and if it is it says hey you can't visit the site uh, how, how do you feel about that as, as running a site that uh, not asking a business side question, but editorially, mm -hmm. uh, running a site that is partly supported by advertising, uh, blocking people who won't view your ads seems like a fairly severe move to take. Um, yeah, it does seem pretty severe. So there's sort of it's when you're making money on the Internet or trying to with content. You can have people pay for the content or you can have advertisers pay for the content or you can go with kind of like a mix and, you know, have hope some people pay and everyone else looks at ads and no one's really nailed it yet um, because 
yeah, if you want advertisers to pay, then advertisers are, expect people to look at the ads and, you know, the ads are getting kind of annoying. So people don't want to look at the ads. Um, we have a, there's a task force right now looking at all of our sites and the user experience and stuff. And I keep giving them all of your lovely feedback about our autoplay <laughs> issue, <laughs> pop-up ads and the, the different annoying things that are on our site. And I'm on our site all day. I know how annoying it is. It annoys the crap out of me. Um, and we've had a couple of ad blocking issues. So we don't we don't like, you know, just not show you the content if you're blocking the ads. But um, we do a lot of slideshows and people have called us out for that. Like you do too many slideshows. You're just trying to get more ad impressions. It's like, well, yeah, we are trying to get more ad impressions because about 30 percent of you are not you're blocking the ads. So that, you know, that just makes life worse for the other 70%, I guess. But I've never thought that our slideshow tool is that bad. I've seen some bad, bad slideshows, um, you know, implementations on the web. Ours isn't that terrible. They load pretty fast. So that doesn't really bother me. But we had a bug for a while where the slideshows wouldn't advance past slide like three or four oh, for people yeah. using ad blockers. Oh. For everyone else, it worked fine. But for the people using the ad blockers, it didn't work. And then they would get like so mad at us and just be like, this slideshow doesn't work on Chrome at all. This slideshow like can't get past, like there's, they're broken. Why do you keep putting up a slideshow every single day if I can't look at them? And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I'm talking to the guys who can fix this. And they don't really want to fix it. Like I had to, I had to work really hard to like convince them that like, no, like, you know, we need the page views. We need like, you need you to fix this. And they were like, well, I mean, it's only affecting like the people who aren't, you know, who aren't playing along. So we don't, it's a very, very low priority. And I got them to fix it. Now it's kind of happening again. So I'm going to have to take up that battle again. But, um. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a mess, but yeah, we uh, we we did write about Apple. Just I mean Yahoo, just saying like, nope, can't even look at your mail, which is crazy because you don't think of mail like webmail as something that's paid for by advertising, um, but you know, like everything else, I guess it kind of is. And Yahoo is you know basically an advertising company, so they're saying if you use our products, you you, you really need to to take off the ad block. Well, you saw The Economist got bit by this. I am a disclosure. I, I write on a uh, now less frequent, but I've uh, written regularly for The Economist for a long time. And they had to post a little note a few weeks ago because the anti-blocking software they were using was hacked. And uh, yeah. it's a third party, kind of embarrassing. Uh, and they're using PageFair and uh, it was hacked on October 31st. I mean, this is an old story, but we're talking about the anti-blocking. They posted a notice and uh, malware that was disguised as an Adobe update could have been up to, uh, downloaded onto their computers and it was uh, only affected uh, Windows PC users, not Mac users or mobile users. Uh, and it only lasted about 80 minutes, but it's still like, okay, look, you're using software uh designed to um you know block ads i guess in this case i'm not sure if they had it deployed to um to block the ads or to measure ad blocking because that's another issue yeah uh, but a uh, lot of the trackers and stuff that that show up on uh, you know w w when you use a tool like ghostry and it shows you all the trackers that load when you load you know any web page some of those are for advertising purposes some of those are to show you videos some of those are just to like count that you've been there, you know, and some of them are for like little things like, you know, putting that like share this page on Twitter button like that, that loads in, in ghostery like that shows up. So yeah, I mean, we have when you load one of our pages, I think we have three or four different analytics like things that load on there. So 
So it's not just that they're trying to, you know, like squeeze every dime out of out of you. And like, we, you know, we get better rates for our from our advertisers if we have some demographic data about our audience as a whole, because, you know, they want to reach certain people who are making buying decisions and, you know, make a lot of income and whatever. So. So, yeah, uh, oh, it's such a mess. Um, but, yeah, this page fair thing was actually serving up malware. So that that's like, you know, obviously sites, and I include ours in them, are, are going too far and doing too much. And so it's, you know, I, I, I read sites too, and I totally sympathize with the readers who are like, you know, enough is enough, and we got to draw a line in the sand. And you're going to end up throwing the baby out with the back the bathwater. We had this conversation around the, you know, content blockers in iOS 9. Yeah. Like it's really hard to get it exactly right and to just block the stuff that you feel like is too far. But, you know, and then like whitelist the sites that you don't mind because they don't, you know, play fast and loose with your information. You don't feel like you're being taken advantage of. But yeah, so yeah, Yahoo looks silly for having done this. And, um, you know, The Economist looked very silly for having inadvertently served malware to their readers. But which is fortunately rare, although it happens with ad networks more than the, the analytics side was the funny part. And yeah, I've been tweaking Ghostry. Like I want Ghostry to, I, I don't mind blocking beacons and trackers and other kinds of things. I try to, to tune it. So I do see ads. I load mm -hmm. up, but like I'm, you know, I can wind up uh, blocking 90% of what's loading on a page that's not related to the content, still see ads. And I'm like, that 90% do I really need? I mean, I have, you know, Economist is a terrible culprit. At times I've had uh, Ghost Report 73 items loading on oh, the yeah. Economist. And I'm like, 70, or go to another, I mean, I've that's gone to other sites. It's Ours 50. is in like the 30s and I thought that was bad. Yeah, I think Ghostry is a good way for sites to get honest about what they're doing because, and, and you know, we've talked about this before, the edit side, there's, you know, editing, pr uh, the development part and business side. These are all different components and to a reader's perspective. They don't need to know about how the sausage is made, but the business side does not have the same they have the same obligation to, you know, pursue an ethical strategy for business as every part of the operation does, but they don't have the direct impact in an editorial organization. They don't get the negative feedback in anywhere like the editorial do because editorial is, at the, is the front line gets the direct feedback and, and it's associated with their content. So business does the deals, development has to make it work and editorial has to cope with the response. Um, but it doesn't mean that business side is making terrible deals. It's just, there's no... Uh, there's no closed loop in most organizations. You know, I think this is where BuzzFeed has come out smelling better in some ways about how it approaches it because they're pursuing that native content thing we've talked about is yeah. they have people write articles that are identified as advertisements. And because of that, they don't have to do elaborate tracking. They don't do anything else. And business and edit don't have uh, goals that are not directly in the same alignment for what they're achieving. It's they're both producing editorial essentially for different reasons where the business side of, you know, Macworld or any other publication, the business side is kind of engaged in a different business in some ways than the editorial side. Mm -hmm. um, and they intersect to produce, you know, one whole. So um, we're starting to see that seam exposed. And I think as we keep talking about it, it'll change, but um, anti ad blocking software is not intended to be uh anti-consumer, but I'm seeing, like, I go to blogs, I go to some other places where if I've enabled something for testing or I have some kind of tracker, I'm still showing ads, I haven't disabled DoubleClick or any ad networks at all, I go there, it's like, hey, you're blocking, blah, we're not going to show you content. I'm like, but I'm blocking a thing that's tracking me as an individual that I haven't consented or opted into, I still want to see your ads, but you don't want to show me your ads unless you can also gather this additional information that I don't really want to disclose. So, fair deal. You told me I can't see your site, great, I'm either going to 
let you have that information or I'm going to go away. And that seems, that seems fair to me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, we have been tracking you on this. This is the thing about podcasts still. This is why podcasts, a popular medium in which we have no, we don't know anything about you, <laughs> but you can tell us about yourself. We promise not to disclose it to advertisers because we're interested in what you'd like to hear on this podcast because, uh, we respond to, uh, what listeners and readers are interested in. You can send email to us at podcast at macworld.com. And we do read your comments at macworld.com on this podcast. And you can find us also on the Twitter machine. I am at Glenn F with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-F. Susie is at S-F, Suze, F-S, that's S-F like San Francisco, <laughs> S-O-O-Z like Z. Like a great Twitter handle there, lady. I didn't think about having <laughs> to say it out loud when I, I made it. Oh, man. I, back in the day uh, when I was- I didn't want to use my like full name because I was, I think I was engaged at the time and I was thinking that I was going to change my last name, but then I didn't end up changing my last name because it's a big pain in the butt. So that's why I have a weird Twitter name. Also, everyone would think you, you know. work for, the, you know, you're associated with the New York Times people with the name like oaks so you know right yeah you that's go. come up a couple times uh but yeah the uh, uh way way back in the day 20 plus years ago i was helping a friend start an internet business that i was helping to incubate a little bit back in the days an incubation meant giving somebody a tiny office space in like one megabit per second of bandwidth sharing and uh um she's like should i list it in the phone book and i'm like well imagine when if someone calls the operator this is when people call the operator for phone numbers and they would try to spell it out i'm looking for you know such and such dot com it's like was that dot i'm like no it's a period why did you say dot what is com is that ka and oh no c and we're like all right maybe we don't list it in the phone book <laughs> You never know. Now, look where we are. So, uh, but thanks for listening, folks. And uh, in the run-up towards the holiday season, we'll have, uh, you know, more of this developing news as uh, things wind down for new announcements. Um, but uh, we head towards CES, and we'll start hearing a little bit more about what's going on in the rest of the industry. And uh, I've been talking. And CES will come, and we'll hear about the products that we're not going to see for another, like, year and a half. <laughs> yeah, or ever. That's the exciting or part. Or ever. I mean, never. Uh, so uh, thank you, Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Thank you, Glenn. Always a pleasure. Likewise, and I've been and remain Glenn Fleischman, a contributing, a senior contributor, rather, to uh, Macworld. This has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 485 for December 2nd, 2015. Thanks, folks, for listening, and we'll be back next week.